I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. You may have heard about the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. It's a podcast miniseries gaining popularity, and it chronicles the story of Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill Church. It's a story of systemic spiritual abuse, and I definitely recommend it. However, the bonus episode that came out last week added a problematic element to the conversation, including a misunderstanding of the devastation caused by spiritual abuse. So I and a couple other podcasters, Melanie Mudge from The Holy Heretics and Tim Whitaker from The New Evangelicals, decided to record our own bonus episode in response. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden. Tears of Eden is a nonprofit providing a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. In other news, we're going to have our first virtual gala in September. We're in the process of putting this together now, and I'll give you more details as the date draws closer. This will be a focused time for sharing the work of Tears of Eden and what this organization is about and what we hope for in terms of caring for survivors of spiritual abuse. Here is our response to the podcast series, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. My name is Melanie. I am the host of Holy Heretics podcast, and I am joined today by Catherine Spearing of Uncertain Podcast and Tim Whitaker of the New Evangelicals. And I asked them to join me in a conversation today because um, we've been talking amongst ourselves about a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which is produced by Christianity Today and hosted by Mike Cosper. Um, For those of you who don't know, it's basically looking into the church Mars Hill, which was started by Mark Driscoll and trying to say what went wrong, why did this happen, all that stuff. Um, And yet this week, they released kind of a bonus episode talking about Joshua Harris, who is the guy who wrote um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye way back in the day and kind of became the poster child for uh, purity culture. And then Beyond that, he also then became a pastor at a very young age. He became a lead pastor without any uh, theological training whatsoever. And so he wanted to do an episode looking into Josh Harris and why he had some similarities to Mark Driscoll, even though personality wise, they're very different. And then in the end, he kind of got into a whole bunch about deconstruction and had some thoughts that we then had some thoughts about. So I asked them to join me today to talk about it. So welcome to both of you. Thanks for being here. No problem. <laughs> Glad to be here. Let's get going. It's like an yeah. emergency like team meeting in, in our in our group <laughs> chat. Like, guys, we must get together immediately. It's like, we okay. have to discuss this. We got to <laughs> talk about it. So I want to talk, we could talk about the Josh Harris thing and we can talk about the, the whole podcast looking at Mars Hill as well. Um, because it's interesting to me, I attended Mars Hill for a long time. There was a campus in New Mexico and my family went and all that. So we could talk about that too. But first I would like to talk about this stuff about deconstruction. And mainly I want to talk about it because to me, what he said, at least, at least what I've seen so far on Twitter and on Instagram, he's getting a lot of really good feedback about what he said from people who are still calling themselves evangelicals and still in the church. 
the people who are outside of the church, who call themselves ex evangelicals or who say they're deconstructing tend to have less good reactions. And so let's talk about why, why do you guys think things he said were not taken well by the deconstruction community? Go ahead, Catherine. I know you're chopping <laughs> at the bit. <laughs> oh, there were so many parts that like, oh, my heart was just like, oh, twisting, twisting, twisting at some of the things that were said. The um, the comments by Anderson and Drews Anderson about it being marginalized and these issues being marginalized and the abuse being marginalized. And I, I just disagree with that so, 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 so much. Um, and I, I don't think that it's marginalized at all. And then I, I am grateful that Cowper addressed that and said that he didn't think that it was. Um, and so that was really, really important. And then, and then I was just thinking about like the comment at the end about the, the uh, encouragement to like press back into the church, like, like take this pain and these doubts and then press back into the church and press back into God don't turn away from the church turn back to God and that premise and I can just say the portion of the deconstruction community that I'm specifically working in is with survivors of spiritual abuse people who have been abused in the church not everyone who deconstructs has been abused it is not always a source of pain um, that leads people to deconstruct so that's that's a misunderstanding too, but that's the demographic that I'm working in. And literally just today, I'm in a group of 13 people, 13 survivors, and they're all talking about how they, they can't go back to church. Like they just can't, it is a trauma response. They cannot go. And these are not people who like, Oh, I had a bad experience. And they just left. Like, years of being involved, very involved, heavily involved. Some of them with seminary degrees, like super involved, multiple churches, multiple. And like the thought of telling them just press back into the church. Oh, it was just like, just knife in my heart. And like, that's not, that is not for survivor spiritual abuse. That is not always the best thing to do. It just isn't. And you, you, you sometimes need to take a break because it is so devastating and to heap shame or that extra burden on someone who just can't do it after this visceration that happens when someone experiences abuse in the name of God and with the Bible for support. It's, it's so devastating. It's just so, so, so devastating. So I just wanted to say, we have to make room for that pathway mm -hmm. and we have to make room for the pathway that somebody might legitimately have a legitimate response of saying, I can't do church anymore. And they might have a very legitimate response of saying, I can't do Christianity anymore. That is a legitimate response. Doesn't mean that everyone's going to stay in that place, but they might, and that's okay. And we have to make room for that. Tim, what do you think? <laughs> I have a hot potato now. <laughs> let, let me go back because you mentioned two different things. So the first part is that, um, the host, Mike Cosper, had he interviewed an expert from Baylor, and I don't remember his exact Matthew name. Anderson. I, I okay. found him. You found yeah. him. Okay, Matthew Anderson. And in there, he's talking about um, why why people who have had bad experiences within the evangelical church deconstruct. And he, what you mentioned, Catherine, was he says something like 
this is more of a marginal experience and not like the mainstream experience, which I was like, what one, let's talk about that. But two, I'm going to, I'm going to read a quote from what he said, because this was something that stood out to me as well. He said, the people who leave are trying to make sense of their bad experiences and finding people who can sympathize with them, who they can identify with. And that provides a certain sort of comfort and security, but that's something that's very different than deep, difficult self-examination in order to find the truth in the sense that there's a sort of quest for understanding the world and making sense of the world around us. Yes, I think that gets corrupted when it takes this highly publicized form and when it takes a deliberately contrarian form where what you're trying to do is actually critique and take down the structures that you've left behind. So that's the first thing that Catherine mentioned. We can go back to the other one, but I want to talk about that. And Tim, I think you have a lot to say about this because you call yourself the new evangelicals. Not to anymore. Me, <laughs> to me, that doesn't sound like you're like, let's get rid of Christianity. That's like, let's tear it all down. Let's, and let's just get rid of faith altogether. To me, that's, that sounds like you're saying, let's ask those deep questions. And I was frustrated in the fact that he's saying that anybody who has a bad experience and who goes through deconstruction, they automatically are not doing that deep, difficult self-examination in order to find the truth. Like, and they're looking for comfort. Oh, right. I mean, yes, yes. There's a, there's a, obviously we have a community, but that doesn't mean that that's what we're doing this. It's so patronizing. So tell me your thoughts on that, Tim. Yeah. Well, I mean, every human looks for comfort and community. (laughs) We all do that. So, right. And so does Matthew, right. We all do that. Um, yeah, you know, it's, I I don't want to speak too generally here, but it's just kind of like the same critiques that we hear often. And they just tell me that you're still not even trying to listen, Mm -hmm. um, to like what people are actually saying. Um, not that, but and you guys know this, none of us are claiming to be gatekeepers for deconstruction or the, the final authorities on that term. But at least in my circles, what I'm dealing with is exactly what you said, Melanie, like, we want to know truth. We want to understand the world around us. And what we found is that the narrow evangelical bubble um, really has shut out a lot of other realities in order, in order, in order to preserve their pretty, you know, fundamentalist ideology about in their view of what they would call absolute truth that we could never compromise on. That really has been, it could be wider than that. You know Um, you, the first part of the quote, can you read the first part? I'm going to tell you when to stop because I wanted to respond to it. Okay. Um, They're trying to make sense of their bad experiences and finding people who can sympathize with them, who they can identify with. And that provides a certain sort of comfort and security. Stop. so sorry, I didn't mean to yacht you, but no, the, it's fine. I, that first part, it's like, well, do you, you know why? Because you guys kicked us out <laughs> or you told <laughs> us to leave or you abused us, right? Like, like most, most people who are quote unquote deconstructing in some way are like born in the church people. These are people who have been in evangelical circles for the majority of their lives, right? In in all different parts of America and all different denominations and all different flavors of evangelicalism, reformed, charismatic, Pentecostal, you know, non-denominational. And we all are coming away with very similar themes, right? And the themes a lot of the times are, yeah, I asked questions and was pretty much said, well, you can ask these questions as long as you come to the right answers, 
And when you didn't have the right answers, you were asked to move on. That's my experience, right? I start right. new evangelicals. My church says, you got to either pick, either pick this or pick that. Okay. Or like, you know, um, like you said, Catherine, a lot of people have been just straight up abused, gaslighted, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. I mean, there are entire accounts that document this do better church. Uh, the preacher boy docu series or uh, Pre preacher boys doc. They're completely dedicated to the IFB, just the IFB chronicling the rampant sexual abuse there. So it, it, it once again, that kind of statement just shows like, I don't really think you understand why a lot of us have either left these circles or we've been asked to leave these circles. And that's important to recognize. Right. Um, and so, just, yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine. I Go was ahead. just going to say like the phrase bad experience is yeah. so like invalidating. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you were uncomfortable one day at church. No. Right. Yeah. They sing the wrong like, songs. It's like, no. Uh, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I think that I think that that this quote especially really shows that many evangelicals still think that if evangelicalism didn't exist, Christianity would, would cease to exist. Like as a whole. Oh, that's you know, a good point. like, that's oh, a good point. If, if our churches fail. Oh, we, that's it. Like Satan wins. He conquers the world. It's like, actually you're a pretty minority group in terms of, you know, Christian faith currently and historically. But again, we have this savior complex, right? That we, we have the truth. And if we don't do right. it right, you know, everything falls apart. It's like, ah, man, like the world does not revolve around you or the evangelical circles that, that, that we've grown up in. Not that, not that there aren't I still think, you know, in some cases, beautiful things that evangelicalism can teach us, but it's been so co-opted by so many other things, including power and celebrity, as, as Mike, I think, rightly points out, right. that he can't almost see the forest from the trees. You know, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mike, like, we agree. <laughs> that's why we're not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And, you know, the, I, I really think that it's the frustrating part to me of that whole quote, though, is that he thinks that people who are deconstructing are just like we're abandoning deep, difficult self-examination or the quest for truth or anything like that. It's like, no, many of us are leaving the evangelical church because of our search for truth. Like I was not abused. I I had some negative experiences through ministry and all that. But that's not ultimately what got me to that point. What got me to the point of saying, I don't know if I want to have anything to do with this anymore, is the fact that I was like, well, what about this idea about the Bible or that idea about God? Or is um, like the idea of eternal conscious torment, is that really the only option out there? Is that really all that Christians believe? How does that mean that that's a good God? Like it was the questions and the search for truth that led me to this point of, what even is my faith? Um, and, and the fact that he like thinks that we're diametrically opposed to deep self-examination, it's like, we, no, we left the church actually, because there's so many leaders who don't have any self-examination, let alone accountability and who have that, uh, celebrity, like he talks about, um, yet they're never held accountable. And so we're like, well, we don't want to be part of a system that is just like run by these power hungry celebrity, pastors. So I, I just got, Oh, I just got so frustrated. Cause then after that, he continues on Cosper kind of as like a response to what, um, what was his name again? Matthew Andrews. Yeah. Matthew Anderson. Okay. Anderson. Um, a as a response to that Cosper says, um, 
we need to ask ourselves, what are we after? What's our motivating spirit? Right. And like, as if we're not asking that question already. Right. And then he says, the answer to our pain shouldn't be to try to turn it into a weapon to tear down all communities of faith. When we're feeling those moments of sorrow and anger, we should also be asking ourselves critical questions. What are we seeking? What do we hope to find? Are we simply engaged in a project of deconstructing the places and people that hurt us? Or are we genuinely seeking the truth and to embrace it, however it may reveal itself to us? And I'm like, Catherine's like making faces right now. (laughs) And Tim's like doing the like mind blow. Yes, you know, like Uh, light bulb, like, like, yes, Mike, that's right. That's what what we're all doing. That's why we're here. And and then um, one thing that, uh, really got me was the Anderson said um, something about the types of Christianity that rush into the void when like there's a crisis they don't have that kind of rest about them they have an anxiety which manifests itself in all sorts of ways and I was just like I mean have you been at like a Pentecostal youth camp ultra call you want anxiety <laughs> I mean, holy smokes, you know, uh, again, it just shows that like anything new or outside the bubble is problematic, right? Even, even right. different branches of Christianity are problematic, according to that quote. Now, I don't think Mike would, if Mike was here, I don't think he'd be, I don't think he'd, be, he'd say, yes, that's, that, that's what I mean. I'm sure he would say there's room, but the way he presents it is right. very like, uh, we've heard this language before. We know we're reading between the lines here, Mike, like we know what you're saying, you know, reconstruct this way or else is, is, is the the thought. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and to just assume that like, because we're asking these questions and, and, and walking away from that certainty that we used to love, that we used to cling to and saying, well, we don't have certainty anymore. We have uncertainty that somehow now we're just like anxiety ridden and we're just destructive. And it's like, I would, I would love to have the certainty that I used to have. But I just don't think it's it's intellectually sound. And that's not like I'm not rushing into there to try to like increase anxiety. I'm just trying to follow, as Cosper said, uh, truth, however it may reveal itself to me. I feel like and Catherine, common, you have something. Yes. Yeah. It's the common critique of just like that the the idea that we are tearing down the church and that that is our that's what we're and that is. It's like if something is rotten and you shine light on it, you are not making it rotten. It's already that way. Pointing Mm. out the problem is not the same thing as causing the problem. And Mm. so tearing down, that's not what we're doing. We're we're pointing out what's already there. It was already problematic. And this idea that silence is the only way to ask these questions, basically. Privacy silent you know like that that is what okay that is what perpetuates abuse that that really is that covering up and that saying that you know you can deconstruct just do it quietly do do it in your closet just do it with a few friends don't tell anyone about it don't put on instagram don't make a podcast about it like just keep it quiet (laughs) like like that that is that is a problematic thing that keeps i think keeps surfacing from folks who still a lot of folks who still identify as evangelical um, is just that we're tearing down the church. No, it's already, it's already tearing itself down. Like it's, it's already doing it. We're trying to help. We're trying to help by pointing out these issues that are already happening. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, that one's always funny to me when people kind of point that out, like, oh, you're just so negative when I tear down the church. It's like, no, like, I want to help reform the church. And by the way, the institutional mega church machine called the evangelical church is not the church. If we're going to get biblical about it, it is a group of people who are gathered. Like it's actual people. It's not a building. It's not PCO. It's not Ableton. It's not the systems that make this all happen. That's not church. That's, that's the infrastructure. And that can change. That has changed throughout history and will continue to change. What we're saying is, is, that, is that the current model of how the evangelical uh, church presents itself it's creating systems and infrastructures that are causing harm to people because there's no accountability for people in power or very little in most cases, right? Now, obviously there's exceptions to every rule. We all know this. We can all find churches that, you know, I know pastors 40 years in the ministry, not one scandal to their name. Thank God. Right. But right. we know that like this model also produces plays people like Driscoll's and all kinds of people who can abuse power unchecked along with that celebrity culture. But one thing I wanted to add briefly, uh, kind of what you said earlier, uh, Melanie, about the whole like uh, anxiety, you know, re uh, repentance thing, like, you know, to be fair, to be honest with you guys, I've been more repentant <laughs> on a personal level in the past, maybe like three or four months, than I had mm. been maybe like in my entire life, because I've been rethinking about how systems that benefit me and how I've taken advantage of them and how I've harmed people through them, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally. So I do find it kind of interesting that like evangelical culture will be like, well, this is producing, you know, bad fruit or anxiety. When in reality, like for a lot of us, like I'm like really self-reflecting maybe for right. the first time uh, in a whole different way beyond just like, okay, don't look at porn, don't curse, don't smoke, you know, <laughs> besides like the real trite ones, right. That we're all kind of told, but like real deep, like soul searching of, yeah, like how, how does a society benefit me compared to my wife? Wow. I should be like aware of that. And you know, like that kind yeah. of stuff. So the, the repentance level, at least for me has been off the charts lately, you know, and that's like, that's Christianity 101. So I, I really think, and I'm going to shut up here in a minute. I just think that ultimately it's because we're not doing it their way. That's the problem. A for a lot of us, the elements are intact. You know, they really are. They just look very different now and they're being applied in very, I would say, in additional ways um, and focus on in different ways. And that's what is causing so, so many problems for evangelicals who can't fathom this being interpreted a different way and expressed that way. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And, and I think one of the things that kept standing out to me was this like, he kept saying, seek the truth. Um, it's code. Yeah. Which, which was basically like, it came across as this assumption that like, if you're seeking the truth, you're going to end up back here in the evangelical church. Right. And, and that is so like, that's, that's one of the problems that so many of us in the deconstruction community have with the church is that there's no consideration of the fact that, that truth is so big that there's no one person or organization or version of church that has a monopoly on the truth. And yet the way he kept saying it was just like, well, you got to seek the truth wherever it comes from. And we're like, yeah, we're doing that. And it's coming from places that right. you have said are heretical and bad. Right. It came from Bart Ehrman for me. I and mean, what do you do yeah. with that? <laughs> yeah. Like people who have become atheists or who uh, like practice some, something like there's plenty of people I know in the deconstruction community who have found tarot because of it. And um, like you say tarot and you're like, Oh, the devil, you know, like 
I don't know, I don't know personally what all of the truth is. And so I don't know, is tarot good, bad? I don't know. Like right. there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I haven't researched, but the truth is I am now much more willing to look for it yes. outside of the church. And what I'm finding is so much more life-giving and also so much more loving and experiential. And yet somehow he kept saying it like, well, you got to seek the truth. And like, there's this assumption that we're not seeking the truth if we're not in the evangelical church. Yeah. What did you guys think about his comment about the deconstruction community as like, basically another form of evangelicalism. It has its gatekeepers. It has its right way to do things. It's wrong way to do things. What did you think about that comment? Well, he said that in response to um, people getting mad about Josh Harris, um, his course. And I was like, I, I, I got frustrated with that because I was like, people aren't gatekeeping. Like who's a, like, they're not coming out and being like, you can't do that. You didn't go through the approved channels. People are just coming out and saying, we don't want to hear from you right now. And they're just trying to say like, this is, we're not ready for this. And I didn't feel like it was like gatekeeping, like, like a, a pastor at a church saying like, you're not approved to speak from the pulpit. It was more just people saying like, you have hurt me. I don't want to hear from you. And that to me was more like, people are just setting boundaries rather than like being the gatekeeper. So I don't know. Well, Maybe look, I'm wrong on that. Here's the thing. Josh didn't have to listen. He could have said, yeah, thanks for your opinion. I'm going to keep it up. And if you don't want it, don't buy it. Right. And he, and people could have unfollowed him and they could have just moved on. I mean, you know, accounts do that. Like I I've talked to Joe Luman. She said like, people don't listen to me. It's like, you're right. They don't. <laughs> you're right. But Josh heard the feedback and he, he corrected course. It's like, great. Happy for you, Josh. I'm, I'm glad you heard, you know, the feedback online. So I think that's very different than someone who attends a local church then being told you can't be here anymore if you don't do it this way. You or you know if you believe this, there's no room for you here anymore. Josh, that was on Josh's platform. Josh has the the ultimate control. It's not right. illegal what he's doing. Um, you know, and, and to some people on his account, it's not even unethical. I saw some of the comments. Thanks, Josh. Can't wait to check it out. You know, so people would have would have probably bought the course. That's up to Josh. Ultimately, still people bringing up. Hey, Josh, this is why this could be harmful. And also like you sold a book that like really created a lot of problems that many people are still healing from. And now their perception, whether you realize it or not, is that now you're trying to benefit again from us by giving us like the remedy to your poison, right? Even though it's been so long. And I'm sure Josh is a whole different person from when he was, you know, 30 years, 20 years ago, but he heard it. He said, okay. Hey, I, I hear you. Good point. I'm going to pull the course. That's so up to Josh. He had the final say. Right. Nothing would have changed in his life. No speaking gigs would have been canceled. No platform would have been minimized. I mean, what was it? Maybe at most, if I'm thinking about it, because I followed it pretty closely, there was maybe 10 large accounts, maybe 11 that like really spoke up who had a lot of sway out of his like 38,000 followers. That's nothing. So, you know, I think that that's a big difference when it comes to the term gatekeepers. There is no gatekeeper there. Josh is still the gatekeeper of his own account. Well, it sounds like, there's a confusion between what gatekeeping and accountability are. Definitely. You know? Like, cause it's we good. we're so not used to seeing pastors being held accountable that then when anybody is held accountable, then it's like, Oh, well you're gatekeeping me. And it's like, mm, no, uh, sorry. I'm just trying to tell you like, 
I don't like that you profited off of my pain before. And so I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to hear from you right now. Like, right. but maybe it's, maybe it really is like, we don't understand what accountability is because we haven't seen it. And so we see it on an individual level of like, well, oh, I have an accountability partner who tells me that I shouldn't look at porn. Uh, but we ne- we do not see it. Ha- I mean, we didn't see it with Mark Driscoll. We didn't see it with CJ Mahaney and all the people underneath him. Like we didn't see it with Ravi Zacharias. We, we haven't seen accountability in so long that we don't even know what it looks like. And so I feel like maybe that's why he sees it as gatekeeping when really it's just like, no, this is like real healthy accountability happening in real time. And people felt safe to say, this bothers me. Whereas in the evangelical church, you don't always feel safe to say that. Yeah, like you kind of, you kind of just have to keep it to yourself. And that's something that I've been seeing a lot. And the Josh Harris thing kind of scared me a little bit. Cause I was like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening right now? Um, because I'm not used to seeing that. I'm not used to like seeing people speak out and then be heard, you know, like, like most of us haven't experienced that. Um, yeah. And so I feel like there's a sense of safety that's being created in this community where people can speak out. And yeah. I think. And I also think in Josh's case in particular, you know, because of who, of his history and because of the course that he created that was specifically designed to help you de- deconstruct better, it just was like really weird. Like, wait, but Josh, like you're not the guru here. Like that, 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 that's not how this works. I mean, even people who I love to follow and learn from, they don't proclaim themselves as gurus or sell courses for $300 to help you deconstruct better. That's like, not like what we're trying to do. We're not trying to bring capitalism into this, into this movement of, Oh, if you want the answers to like the, if you want like, like the hidden knowledge, just pay this $300 or whatever right. it is. And I'll give it to you. That's not like what we're after here. This is a much more communal, Listen, people want to give, people give to me, right? They, they donate. They say, hey, thanks for what you do. Here's 10 bucks. I'm like, that's awesome. But there's no product, <laughs> right? There's no like, I'm, I, me or you guys, we're not telling people, hey, I have secret hidden knowledge on deconstruction that only I know. And right. if you pay me money, I will bring you through a course that will fix all these problems for you. Like <laughs> that is evangelicalism, right? That is like that, like Stephen Furtick, Joel Olstein kind of sales pitch, right? So I think there were a lot of layers with the Josh Harris situation that really were all combined to become a powder keg. And when he announced that people were like, absolutely not. We will <laughs> not do this, you know? So <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I, so far, I don't, as far as I can tell, none of us have gotten filthy rich off of any of this either. In fact, most of us are like, just trying to get a few pennies to cover like Zoom and Listen, like six figures or bust. That's my motto in life. You know? <laughs> For real, though. What do you I, think? Go ahead, Calvin. Uh, what do you think would have happened if he had offered that course for complete, completely for free and hadn't put a dollar on it? How do you think people would have responded? Can I go first? Do you mind, Melanie? Go, oh, go for it. I, I don't know because it's still Josh Harris. Like, I do think one thing that Mike brought up, I think rightly so, is that you know, when you grow up in that evangelical celebrity culture and Josh admitted in the podcast, like he wanted all that. Right. And listen, I have been there as, as a drummer. I had an identity that was like, I want to be this pro drummer in the worship space. Like I, I, I get that you want it. So you go after it. Right. And then you're going to evangelize because of your name. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so I think it's more about, of, of like Josh's history and whether Josh, whether Josh has pure motives or not is besides the point because of who he is and what he's done. 
even though I believe he's repentant and that he's trying to do better, I totally believe all that. And there's certainly room. I just don't know if like him offering a course like that is like a wise decision for him because he should be thinking about the optics, right? Like, okay. Based on who I am, based on the fact that I, I, I have notoriety because of what I did. Right. And because then again, I told people I'm not a Christian anymore and I'm, I divorced my wife and now I'm deconstructing, you know, like, you have to be hyper aware of that, like privilege, right? And that power, especially when I think in this case, Josh created a list of resources without asking those resources for permission as well. So uh, I just think there was like a lot of layers that were just like misses from people who have actually done the work. I mean, I, listen, I, I, I'm not here to shit on Josh. I'm sure he's a great human being. I don't think he's a bad guy, but I don't know. Is he like a licensed counselor at least? Like, does he have any training? This is traumatic stuff, right? Like, like you said, Catherine, these are people who have real psychological mental trauma from the culture that Josh was a part of. Right. And so before, when you start like wanting to go back into tinker, you better like know what the hell you're doing. Right. I mean, it, it would be as silly as me offering that. Like, hey, I'm here to counsel you on your trauma. Like, I have no experience doing that. It doesn't make any sense. So I think it might have been less of a response, but still, I think you would have had a few people who would have been like, I don't think you're qualified here, Josh, for this. Doesn't mean Josh isn't welcome, that there isn't an avenue for him, but maybe it's not this lane for him. Yeah, I, I think. I might have downloaded it if it was like, I mean, I was actually considering using, cause he offered for those who don't know, he offered this course for 275 and it was like called reframe your story or something like that kind yeah. of leading into deconstruction. But he said, if you've been harmed by me or by purity culture in general, you can use this gift code, get it for free. And I was considering it just cause I was like, I'm curious, what is this? Absolutely. And I think had it been free with no gift code at all, like I curiosity would have killed the cat for a lot of us, I think just to be like, what is he going to say? But I, I do think you're right, Tim. Like, I think he, we interviewed Josh Harris and I think mm. he's a genuinely nice, kind person. And so I, in no way like want to attack him as a person or be like, right. Oh, what is he doing? Right. However, I, I do think that he not only profited from his, his book before monetarily, that's how he is famous. Now that's how he has a platform at all. Now, how he has a voice, how people know his name is from this book that was so harmful. Yeah. And so I think there's just so many of us who are like, you've had your time. And there are plenty of people who are working in this space who didn't do any of this harm, who are coming from a place of, I was once harmed. I found a place to get healing. And now I want to help you not from a place of, I did the harming, but then I stopped harming. And so now listen to me. And that's, I mean, I do think actually in a lot of ways, Josh Harris was a victim of the system as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, he was young when he first right. published his book. And he even said on our podcast, he was like, I wanted to be famous for Jesus. Like you said, Tim, he he had that desire within him. But at the same time, like there could have been an adult, a, like an older adult, a wiser adult who came along and said like, whoa, slow your roll. Yeah. Like, let's let's learn some stuff here before you like try to teach the whole world something. So to me, it's like, I think a lot more people, I think he, he wouldn't have had as much pushback, but I still think he would have had a decent amount of pushback. And so I don't know. What do you I think, think that you're, him? that's really, that's a really important point. And I'm glad that you said that about like the damage is still done, you know, no matter what he says, 
now that damage is still done. And we have to be, I think that we're not taught that we weren't taught that in the evangelical church about people in power. We were taught if they say, I'm sorry, we have to pretend like the damage never happened. That's what we were taught. And I think that it is absolutely, you're absolutely right that that damage has been done. And there are people who will always be hurt by that. And, and, and he, and I think you had said this when we were messaging at another time, like he just doesn't need to be the one to do that. He needs to step back and he needs to let other people do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting thought. I've been thinking a lot about like this idea of, well, what, what does repentance mean? You know, like, what does it mean to repent and how does that work? Because I think in our evangelical culture, we, we hear sorry and we equate repentance. Right. But then I think about like in the Bible, I think about Zacchaeus when he repented, like he paid back, like, I think like three or four times what he took, right? Like he like sold, he, he over compensated mm-hmm. for the wrongs that he did, right? There was immediate, right. oh my God, like I've wronged people. I have to give more than what I stole. It's this idea of, of like trying to make the wrong, right? It's, it's this idea of like correcting course, right? And so I think that we've gotten to our head that if a pastor gets up on stage and says, hey, I sexually assaulted someone, I repent, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get counseling. That means, oh, he must have repented because he got counseling now, and now he's back in the same position of power that he was before. But repentance, I think is more of, wait, do I need to be, in the limelight anymore? Like, what are these motives that are motivating me to feel myself, my, 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 to feel a sense of self-worth if I'm in the spotlight, but if I'm not in the spotlight, I don't feel, I don't feel worthwhile. Where's that coming from? Right. And I think we have to address that because that ties back into the celebrity culture with someone, I know we're kind of beating up on Josh Harris here. I, I think we all agree. We're not here to dehumanize the guy made in God's image, but he's kind of in the spotlight right now. Right. But in Josh's case, it's like, well, Josh, what does repentance look like, you know, based on you realize the wrong you did? What? Hey, so good. Like that, that's, a, that's wonderful. So what does repenting look like? How do those wrongs get made right? Like what if part of that was you stepping away from the spotlight and just, or, or what if you use your platform to elevate other voices? Like what if I'm just, these are, I'm not Josh, right? But what if Josh was like, hey, I'm going to get four or five like women who are killing the game in this movement. I'm going to work with them and partner with them. We're going to charge for this course. We're going to split it five different ways and we're going to push this together. And I'm going to use my platform to elevate this thing that, that they're, you know, that, 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 that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And we're going to push forward that way. Like what a way to use your privilege and power, right. And still elevating others at the same exact time. But instead it was, Hey guys, like, here's my course. We're going to reframe your story. It's 300 bucks. If you've been harmed, it's free, but it's still like, okay. But it's still about you. <laughs> it's still about you kind of, and I'm, listen, I'm guilty of this. Okay. Like, hands up fully honest, right? It's it's all about you tickling your ego and feeling like, oh, I've done something good. And I get that. It's a natural response. But like you have to think a little bit deeper when it comes to that term of of repentance, what that that looks like based on the situation and on who you've harmed and how you make it right. Mm. Well, I want to switch gears a tiny bit here because um, we were talking earlier and this is something I really want to hear from Catherine on because you... um, are focusing so much on abuse within the church and helping abuse victims Mm. tell their stories and in whatever way they can heal. Um, so let's talk about the mark, like the actual purpose of the whole podcast, (laughs) which is Mark Driscoll and all the people he harmed. And, and I do believe that Mark cost Mike Cosper, um, the host of the podcast, like, I think he was like, I was like, 
you know, we probably disagree on a lot of things, but I am in for this show because I love what you're doing of helping us understand yeah. why this happened, how this continued, et cetera, et cetera. Then he came out with the bonus episode and I was like, oh, well, maybe not. But but I do want to focus on like because I think what he was doing, at least his intention there was really good. So, how, Catherine, how do you see his desire to tell that story and to really dive deep into what went wrong and how people were harmed through it. How do you see that helping or hindering people who, who were harmed or who have been harmed in similar ways? Right. And I, in general, I think the whole overall podcast has been really, really helpful and just mm. highlighting. And one of the things that doesn't usually happen when we highlight these stories of abuse, like Ravi Zacharias or Bill Hybels, a lot of times we talk about that person and like, what is wrong with that person? But I think that there's a subtle difference, not a subtle difference. There is a difference in mm. the Marsville one is it is going after the system. It is mm -hmm. revealing what happened in that system. Um, I think the thing that I would, I really hope to see more of is um, just a, a centering of the stories of the survivors and mm. the pain and the devastation that can be caused in these environments and a place that's that's uh, missing, I think, and he might, might completely disagree with me on this, is it's this, it's still, it still seems to be operating from the stance of evangelicalism is fundamentally good. Mm. And oops, these people messed up over here. Mm -hmm. Let's let this be our cautionary tale and not do this. Um, and, and we do that a lot in evangelicalism. It was like, ooh, cautionary tale. Ooh, cautionary tale. Don't be like, don't be like David. Go off to war with your people so that you don't stay back and become tempted by your next door neighbor. Like, <laughs> like we we treat all of these things like cautionary tales. Um, but we don't recognize that in this situation, there is something fundamentally rotten in the entire system. And I would venture to say just in evangelicalism and in general, and I'm coming to this realization that I think, I think that, you know, you know, racism, capitalism, patriarchy, all these things, yes, these things are in the church, but I, I believe that a handful of abusive people got a hold of a community and used the Bible to program us to believe that you know, spiritual leaders are always right. And they speak mm. for God to, you know, mis misapply forgiveness, misapply teaching on, on repentance, um, suppress, you know, half of the congregation, half of the congregation that, you know, doesn't have a penis. And we, when they, then they've made it work for them and they've, they've rotten, rot made this evangelicalism rotten. And like you were saying, Tim earlier, there are outlier churches where, you know, it is healthy and, they are doing, you know, their small church thing and they are caring for people and they are pastoring. And I know pastors who like their heart is pastoral. Like yeah. it is yeah. <laughs> like they want to really genuinely care for people in the name of Jesus. And so, but I just think there's something fundamentally wrong, fundamentally wrong in the entire system. And it's not, oh, Mars Hill Church over there. Oops, look what happened. Like those people were wired. And I think in the intro, it says that like shows like, it, the one of the clips is like you know this congregation wanted a narcissist like they wanted a narcissist well i think evangelicalism wants a narcissist <laughs> it wants to be led by a narcissist whether it's a covert narcissist or an overt narcissist like 
we want, we want to be, you know, we want the mind control, you know, like we're like drawn to that mind control and behavior control and like, you need to do it this way. Um, and, and, and that certainty, <laughs> um, which is why when you walk away from that certainty, it is so scary. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is one thing I really hope. I know there's still more episodes left. So I hope that he gets into that a little more and, and maybe just decentralizes the, the perpetrator and kind of highlights mm. just the damage, the real damage that has been done mm. by spiritual abuse in this environment. Well, and, and that's, that is actually why I feel like he did all this good work looking at lots of different issues with, uh, the first episodes. And then, he, like you said, he hasn't really told this, the stories of the victims yet, or, or looked into how they were impacted, like in a more in-depth way, but he gets to this bonus episode and I was like, wait, you just erased all this work you just did because you tried to say that the fundamental problem is just that we like celebrities and that we like need these celebrities to lead our churches. And if we just get rid of that desire to have a celebrity who's charismatic leading our church, then like the evangelical church will be fine. And it was like, wait, no, like I, I was actually happy that Josh Harris pushed back on that because he said, wait, let's not make that the scapegoat and not actually take the time to look at like the underlying theologies or practices that we have that are, like you said, Catherine rotten and that are actually part of the problem. Let's not just pretend like it's this one like celebrity thing. That's our problem. Let's look at the deeper things. And I just felt like he just, it's, it's almost like he needed to have, he needed to have a reason that isn't systemic so that he can still believe in the evangelical church. Um, oh, I think you're right. And I think that's why the episode was so disheartening because it was like, we're on a good track. We're on a good track. You know, so many victims are feeling so validated and they're getting to say, Hey, listen to this, you know, Mar rise and fall. Mars Hill. That's what happened at my church. That's what happened in my church. And it's mm -hmm. legitimizing that experience. And then the bonus episode was just like, uh, <laughs> knife to the heart. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it was just like, he's, he needs, he needs to still believe in the evangelical church kind of being that savior or that, that bastion of hope and truth that, that it alone has the answers. And so let's look at something else that is easy to fix, which is this, or, or even, even easy to blame on like the churchgoers like well you guys shouldn't have wanted a celebrity to lead your church you shouldn't have <laughs> eaten it up when he became this like big celebrity who had this charismatic personality you shouldn't have wanted that and it's like no so many of us are leaving yes because of problems with leaders for sure but we're also leaving because of problems with theology and with the system itself and and the focus on uh, legalistic things rather than actually caring about our neighbor and actually taking care of the least of these and love. And like that, that, that was where I was like, Oh man, I, I, I can see why evangelicals are eating it up and ex-evangelicals are like, no, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Tim, you've been quiet, which is uncharacteristic. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just listening. I mean, it's really good stuff. Um, I'm just thinking about, 
how how complex this issue is right like mm-hmm. i i definitely think celebrity culture is a, such a huge american issue and also a huge church issue i think that what you guys are saying like the the systems that really make it like a really that that like corporate model now in church culture one ceo runs the whole thing one pastor with very little accountability right i mean here's the, I, the thought i had was even pastors who don't like do abuse, you know, who are good people that like, and we all know them, right. We, we, we all know good pastors, but the systems that they're in, if they wanted to, they still could. Oh yeah. Right. Like, like a lead pastor who, who doesn't abuse. It's like, wow, that's really impressive because the system was set up. So you really could, you know, if you wanted mm-hmm. to maybe gaslight some people or, you know, you know, convince a, you know, a woman that, you know, she's not sleeping with you, it's problematic. Like you could do that probably pretty scot-free because of, of mm-hmm. how, like you said, Catherine, you know, the pastor speaks for God. The pastor is the final authority. You don't disrespect for your pastor. You have honor for your pastor and for your leaders. All of those other elements are baked into that cake and, um, and it can, it can create very toxic systems. And the way that like the modern evangelical church is structured really lends itself to a, a, a one person runs the show, at least publicly, right, kind of thing. And it's easy when you start gaining traction for a leader to fall into that narcissism. I mean, one thing I appreciated about this podcast is that, and this might sound wrong, but it really has humanized both Mark and the people around Mark for me. Like, oh, mm. like Mark is a human being. Okay. And it's really like, especially in the beginning, it was super nuanced. You know, yeah, yeah, always good intentions and want to do right. things correct. And you kind of see this like transformation happen from Mark being like, yeah, we're a team of, of leaders and, we're, you know, we all have equal say to, no, I am the final authority. Right. So it's like, wow, like, mm-hmm what kind of system takes a guy like that and transforms him into this Mm -hmm. raging monster, right? So there are a lot of layers to this, including Mark himself, obviously, but I'm just kind of processing all that as you guys are talking. Yeah. Melanie, go ahead. (laughs) It's okay. Um, uh, I, I appreciate what you said too, about just like the potential of like invalidating the victim experience and like, what's wrong with you that you go, that you would go to this church or that you would want this narcissistic pastor and so just just as just kind of like shoring up what I said earlier in in hopes that I wasn't invalidating that victim experience and just um the fact that someone who's in a position of spiritual authority has so much power which is why when they abuse it is so devastating and I've been in that you know situation like how was I duped how was I duped how was I duped oh how wasn't I duped you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like they're they are speaking for God they are right. using the Bible with authority um it makes so much sense that that would be one that we would be duped and then two that it would just be so just identity viscerating when it happens and so devastating and so um anyway I just wanted to close that loop Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, and we've been talking for a long time. So I had one last thing that I would love for you guys to respond to at the very end of the bonus episode, he talks about, and I think this is what people who are still in church really are seeing as super compassionate from him. Um, and I want to talk about it because I see it as the opposite and I'll, I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. So at the end, he talks about like God, always leaves the 99 for the one he always goes after the one and my problem with that is that 
it's always that the person who leaves the church is the one it's I mean, he had a lot of assumptions in there that like people who deconstruct are always atheists. There was a lot in there. And I was like, uh, there's so uh-huh. many of us who are not, we do not call ourselves that we still are pursuing faith. We're still pursuing God. So that was frustrating. But he, the answer, the thing that he said was just like, God always leaves for the one. And the one is a, implied that it is the person who is deconstructing or who has left the church. And I actually see it differently now. I see the one as the people who are still in the church. And that sounds funny, but I see them as the ones who are still in the system that parades itself as truth and as God's truth and as God's representatives and, and like biblical truth. This is the understanding that you should have. And to me, I see them as like God still pursuing them going you, you have, you have bought into some lies here and I'm going to pursue you and continue to pull you toward the truth, which is what Cosper kept saying. He wants all of us in the deconstruction world to do. And, and that was what was frustrating to me is like, it's always that we're like the lost ones, but what if, what if, what if we are not the lost ones anymore? What if in one small way we have gotten away from what was causing us to be lost? And now we're a little bit more on the path of truth because of our questions that we're asking. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Catherine? Mm, wow. It's yeah. Honestly, like I heard him say that and, mm. and, it, and surrounded with that, I just felt very patronized. You know, I just felt, I felt patronized. I felt like categorized and like put in this box and like, like a lot of assumptions, like you were saying, um, but I hadn't had that thought. And as you were saying it, I was like, Ooh, I want to, I want to think about this more. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but even that statement of like, God is like implication of God hasn't given up on you and God right. well, and he still says, after you. And- doesn't he, he, he says to someone, I don't know if it was a Josh Harris or not, but it was like, yeah, God is, God is, Jesus isn't done with you yet. Yes. Oh, that assumption that like, we like, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, and maybe, and I don't want it to come across like, oh, well now we're the superior ones. You know, we're the ones who have it all figured out. That's not it. But I just, I'm tired of being assumed that I am the one. Yeah, absolutely. Like poor us. We've fallen away. I just think of like, I just think of like the people uh, just like the privilege of getting to sit with someone in that just, like, fuck God, fuck the church. I don't want to do this anymore. Sobbing on the couch, fetal position, cannot go on. Yeah. And some of those moments are like the holiest moments. Yeah. Like yeah. so much pain and darkness and despair. Like, and yeah. they're they're just the holiest moments. Yeah. And I just don't think that there's been that that hasn't been addressed and we're not making room for how holy that deep just deep pain is um and i sometimes think that you know someone in that pain is closer to god than Mm. the greatest theological brother with the most phds ever like i just i really really do there's definitely something to be said that the evangelical church doesn't have categories for like when God doesn't show up, 
right? Like there's no categories for that. It's like, we'll just keep pushing forward till God shows up. till you have that breakthrough. And it's like, well, I mean, historically, <laughs> you know, like a lot of Christians have very dark night of the souls, like intense dark night of the souls and have crippling doubt. You know, they're, they're almost their whole lives. And there is something like painfully beautiful about that. I don't know if that's the right word, but the, you know, we, we don't like pain as an American society, as a Western society, we don't like um, uh, uncertainty and the church, you know, it's kind of funny how the church likes to claim it's not part of culture when it borrows so many of culture's values uh, and then kind of incorporates it into its own God centric model. Right. And this is a great example of that. We don't know how to handle death as Christians, which ironically as a Christian, like that's like one of the biggest things, <laughs> you know, is like this hope, right? Even if we don't feel it, it's, it's almost like a weird trust. So yeah, I'm with you, Catherine, you know, like I, I agree with you that my own personal times of, of my darkest nights and my most anxious driven nights were some of the most painful and yet holiest. And even though I didn't, I didn't feel close to God, there was something deeper, like a different layer saying, no, 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 like this is, there's something going on here. It's like, okay, if you say so. Mm. So yeah, I'm with you on that hundred percent. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think my, my final thought on that is just like this assumption that, um, that we've walked away, that we're lost, that we, that God has to come out and find us. And for me, it's like, no, I, I left, I walked out of that home or church or whatever you want to call it. If we're talking the level of the parable, because God was out there, I didn't, I didn't leave going, I don't want anything to do with God. I still have, I still believe there is a God. I'm just trying to figure out if like what I can about who this God is. Um, and so I walked out not because I'm lost, but because I am pursuing the shepherd or the father or the God who's out there. Um, and so I'm, I, yeah, that, that to me was like, fundamentally, he doesn't get these people that he's trying to reach. And that's sad to me. And I just hope for anyone who's listening, like, if this is you, if you're in this place of deconstructing, of not be, not being sure if you can go back to church again, or sure that you'll never go back again, or not sure if there's a God or hoping there's a God, any of those things, if you're at any level, part of this community, we want you to know that the, the things he said are not representative of Christianity. I, there's a lot of schools of thought of Christianity out there. There's, and I think even if you don't claim Christianity anymore, like this community is not about, um, anger and just tearing everything down. There's so many of us who just want to heal, who want to build something more beautiful and more loving. And, and that's why we're here. And so if you heard that and you were discouraged, just know that that doesn't have to be the end of the story. So I don't know if you guys have any more concluding thoughts or anything you just were dying to say before we close. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. That was a good. Yeah. I felt like you were speaking to me. Hmm. I think my, my only closing thought, my last thought is that, you know, I've, I've been in the headspace of like where Mike is when it comes to people who leave the faith, you know? And so (laughs) I, I I get it. 
And I understand that, like that perspective. And now I don't know how I, how I used to think that now, but I know being in there is very convincing. Right. Yeah. And so the way I changed was listening and people talking to me kindly and, you know, offering other options. And so it's a real tough balance, you know, of like not yelling at everyone anymore in evangelical churches, <laughs> which I do a lot of, uh, <laughs> and also trying to like lead them to, if they're interested, I guess, bring them into some greener pastures, you know, that, that can still house plenty of evangelical thought, you know, for sure. There's plenty of theology that, that I'm still hanging on to that are, are even is evangelical in nature, but, uh, the gatekeeping and like the narrowness is like, nah, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm good. I'm good with that. <laughs> well, and we're allowed to have, sorry. Nope. Go ahead. We're allowed to, we're just allowed to have our own journeys. And mm -hmm. I think that that is, yeah. that's something that, um, I wish, um, the critics would allow is mm. just, allow us to have our own our own pathway and not be anxious for where we end up yeah. wherever that may be yeah that's yeah the fear the fear of like where we're at yeah that's a really good point Catherine thanks for saying that well thank you guys so much for your time thank I, you like I I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this conversation and I I really think it's going to be so helpful so thank you guys for spending a Saturday night no chatting problem. about Josh Harris and Mike Cosper and Mark Driscoll and all our favorite people. <laughs> We're such, you guys ever think about how nerdy we are? Like this is what gets us up at Saturday night, yeah. leaving, leaving our families like, honey, I have to podcast about this immediately. Like Joshua <laughs> Harris. He said, I mean, we're so, we gotta we're respond. So, we gotta respond. Right. We're such nerds. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Oh my you gosh. Know what? I'm happy that we're all nerds about it because it shows that we care and that yes. we're not just like, oh, let's tear it all down. So right. yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, <laughs> guys. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.